Hey, podcast listeners, Ethan Millard and Alex Curie here from the Nightside Project podcast here at KSL Podcast. Get into Zen Headlines with us on the Nightside Project. Use hashtag Zen Headlines on social media to share stories that make you think, make you smile, spread love, spread joy, all those things. We'll share them on the Nightside Project podcast. One of the most popular podcasts ever. Nightside is a KSL podcast. Subscribe for free anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, I've got Nick Simmons. Almost a decade later, when I was looking for a a way to get supplements into my body to give me an edge in competition, I travel all around the world uh, racing the 800 meters, which is about half a mile. And the difference between winning and losing or meddling and not meddling frequently comes down to less than a tenth of a second. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, I want to invite you to get involved with Child Rescue, the charity our founders started. To learn more about them, just come to our website, iCollective.co, and check on the Child Rescue tab on our menu. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper, but uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, Probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, So totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Nick, thanks for making time. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, pretty accomplished guy in a couple of different areas. Um, can you tell us a bit about your background? Yeah, I grew up in Boise, Idaho. Uh, I was into a lot of different sports there, really into outdoors. I was an Eagle Scout. But the sport that really kind of chose me was track and field. And I went on to run in college. Uh, I won seven NCAA titles and turned pro in the summer of 2006 and went on to win six U.S. outdoor titles in the 800 and made two Olympic teams. Awesome. And um, and it sounds like you didn't slack off on your academics while you're doing it. No, I actually chose a Division three school, which is kind of an unusual route for most Olympians. But I really w- was training to be a doctor, and I wanted to go to a school that would allow me to be a student first, um, a student athlete truly rather than an athlete student. And the school for me – in order to pursue uh, pre-med was, uh, was Willamette University in Salem, Oregon. And I actually ended up with a degree in biochemistry, uh, class of 2006. Okay. And, and tell us about the company you've invented since then. 
Well, yeah, I, the, I like to joke, you know, I spent all this money on a, on a biochem degree and never used it and, until almost a decade later when I was looking for a, a way to get supplements into my body to give me an edge in competition. Now, I travel all around the world uh, racing the 800 meters, which is about half a mile. And the difference between winning and losing or meddling and not meddling frequently comes down to less than a tenth of a second. And if I could find legal stimulants, emphasis being legal here in this world of track and field, that would give me that edge, it could be worth potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so utilizing my degree in biochemistry, I found the stimulants that I wanted, but the way that most companies were encouraging me to get them into my body was through drinking liquids, specifically heavy, acidic, calorie-rich energy drinks and energy shots. And it just was horrible. I'd, I'd feel great uh, from the combination of stimulants, but then I'd just have this horrible ache in my gut from the energy drinks. And more often than not, I'd throw them up. And so one day while I was purging the contents of my stomach after a really hard workout, I thought there just has to be a better way to, to, to do this. And so we took everything that's in an energy drink, caffeine, taurine, B vitamins, and we infused them into two pieces of chewing gum. Now, chewing gum as a delivery vehicle presents many, many benefits. Zero calorie, sugar-free. You absorb it faster sublingually as opposed to gastrointestinally. Uh, it is just such a better way to get these stimulants into the body. And I have nothing in my stomach. So before I work out a race, I pop open a pack of run gum. I chew a couple pieces for a few minutes, spit it out. And my performance is enhanced through these stimulants. And I have absolutely nothing in my stomach to slow me down. So whether you're a doctor running uh, Aaron or running uh, rounds, uh, paramedic working 24-hour shift, a lawyer running into a meeting, or an athlete getting ready to go for a run, these stimulants can be performance enhancing. They can give you increased energy and focus. And they have been massively helpful for me as an athlete and as an entrepreneur. You know, that's awesome. I um, We were talking before the show, and I was telling you I grew up around a lot of track kids. Um, my brother, also named Nick, went to university on track scholarships for 1500 And uh, one of my best friends, Drew Canyo, uh, lifelong runner and, and very accomplished, you know, um, going to nationals for Canada and all sorts of stuff over the years. So I, I uh, was always hanging around with them for the cute track girls that were with them. But, <laughs> but, um, yeah. but it is like a science, like what to eat, when to eat it. You know, just a few years ago, my brother was training for a marathon and uh, ended up running that. And, you know, there is... I think for the non-runners of the world, I mean, there is a lot of thought that goes into what am I going to put in my body and how is that going to affect my race? Yeah, not just what, but how you're going to get it into your body. I mean, we go uh, – I spent two decades now as a professional or as a, as a competitive runner thinking about carbohydrates and protein and not just those two but the ratio that you get it and how you mix it in and when you take it before and after work. I mean – it really truly is a science, and I, I am really fortunate to have this biochemistry background and understand how the body metabolizes various stimulants and, and uh, sources of, of nutrients and energy. Um, and, and I do really believe that we haven't, we haven't reinvented the wheel, but we've made a much better wheel. Run gum is a much better way to get these performance-enhancing stimulants into the body. Um, like I said, it's chemically very similar to a sugar-free energy drink. Uh, no calories, uh, no sugar, just the performance-enhancing stimulants you want and not the other junk. Yeah. Well, Which makes it much more affordable as well. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I want to talk about is, you know, the willpower that it takes to to become an athlete like this and, and ways that you think it's been an advantage to you as an entrepreneur. Sure. Great question. I do think 
that the characteristics that make a great athlete um, are very similar to the characteristics that make a great entrepreneur. Number one being perseverance, you know, injuries and uh, lack of funding and training through all conditions. These are the kind of things that a great athlete has. And no matter what the obstacle that arises, the, the great athletes find a way to get around them. Um, and that's the exact same characteristic that makes an entrepreneur successful. You know, there's always going to be obstacles in every single business, no matter whether it's tech or consumer goods or services or anything, you're going to run into obstacles. And if you are able to persevere, if you're able to take a deep breath and not panic and work your way through problems, then you're going to be successful, whether it's on the track or whether it's in business. Yeah. Um, so talking about the track for a bit. So um, tell us about what it was like to make the Beijing Olympic team. Yeah, it was. That it was, was your first team, right? So it was. Yeah, it was a little overwhelming. It was, you know, to this day, the the best moment of my life on the track was when I made my first Olympic team uh, at the Olympic trials in 2008. But you know, you then go out to the Olympic Games and you have all these preconceived ideas of what it's going to be like, and you get there and and it's totally different. And in what it's way? It's all over. Well, you know, you think that it's you're going to be a you're going to be treated like a king, right? You, I'm a finally an Olympian, and. I'm going to be flown first class and I'm going to be, you know, in the Olympic village where food's going to be great and they're going to put me up in these great accommodations. And it's just not that way. Uh, the IOC treats the Olympians very, very poorly. And it's, it's kind of a shock when you see how crappy the conditions are, to be honest. And I'm not complaining. I'm very blessed to have been an Olympian. But when $4 billion exchanges hands, you think they could take care of the Olympians a little bit better. Mind you, they don't pay the Olympians at all. Every single Olympian gets paid absolutely $0.00. From the IOC, whether you're Michael Phelps or Usain Bolt or Allison Felix, the IOC pays the athletes zero dollars. And you think that if they're gonna if they're gonna you know pr fail to comment, uh, compensate the athletes for their hard work, they could at least take a little bit better care of them when they're out there. But it's not the case. Yeah. So um, how how long had you been running when you when you qualified? Oh, I started running when I was. 13 and I qualified at the age of 24. So I'd been running competitively for 12 years and professionally for two. Yeah. Um, what, what was that feeling like? I mean, what, how, how would you describe it when you knew you were on the team? Relief more than anything. I was one of the favorites to make the team and had competed at the world championships for team USA the year before. So I knew what it would take to make the team, uh, I knew that if I didn't make it that day, I probably would never have another shot at it. It's just the way it works oftentimes in track and field. And I I understand that you know a career is not made up of one race or, or of qualifying for one team. But unfortunately, for better or worse, in America, as a professional runner, there are two different types. There are those that have made an Olympic team and those that haven't. And you could be ranked number one in the world, but if you've never made an Olympic team, the general public just doesn't care that much, which means sponsors don't care that much. And so to it's have made to sacrifices, yeah, to have made the sacrifices, to have put off medical school, put off time with my family, you know, all, all that goes into making uh, an athlete great, you know, and then to actually have that, that moment that said, yes, the sacrifices was, were, were worth it, and, and this is a dream that uh, I've been working towards for so long, and it's finally going to happen for me. It's finally being realized. It was just very rewarding and, uh, and a huge sense of relief. Yeah. So six-time national champion, um, went to Beijing, went to London, um, 2013 world championship silver medal. Is that right? No. Yeah, silver medalist. I was ranked number two in the world that year. Um, between all of that, what, what second place for you behind qualifying for the Beijing team? Wow. Uh, maybe breaking four for the first time, which is 
it might sound silly when you list off, um, you know, the other races that I'm proud of, including, you know, a world silver medalist. I might even put breaking four or higher than that. Because, You're saying breaking the four minute mile? Yeah, because it's one of those things, again, where it's one of those major barriers that reaffirms that the sacrifices that you're making are worth it. Uh, when I broke four uh, at the age of just, I just turned 20, hmm, I just turned 23. It was the winter of 2007. And I'd been trying to break four for, for years. And I'd come really close. I'd run 401 or 402 half a dozen times. And again, as a, as a middle distance runner, there are, there's a camp. There's those who have broken four and those who haven't. And I knew that I, I desperately wanted to be sub four. And when I did it, uh, I, I not just, I, I didn't just do it. I destroyed it. I, Ran 3:56 here in Seattle, and uh, I was on pace to run four flat. And when when the uh, my coach yelled at me that I was on pace, and I I kind of did an inventory of how my legs felt and how my lungs felt, uh, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not just going to break four, I'm going to destroy it. And I thought I'd maybe break it by a second or two, but I ended up breaking it by almost four seconds. So it was uh it was just one of those moments that you work so hard for. <laughs> so yeah. I, I'm just laughing because I've hung out with enough runners that like. In so many other things in life, four seconds is not destroying anything, right? But in this yeah. world, like that is such a big oh deal, gosh. right? I mean, four seconds is the difference between an amateur and Usain Bolt. I mean, it's, it's you can't even you can't even imagine how big four seconds is in our world. Yeah, that's your riot. Um, well, uh, talking about the entrepreneurship side, um, is this something? I mean, you talk about going to medical school. Ha- was entrepreneurship kind of always in the cards for you, or was that an idea no. that came to you later? You know, I- I would have been a fourth generation doctor had I gone on to medical school. All of my family are doctors and nurses. It's just what, what the Simmons family does. And I thought, well, that's, that's what we do. So I went to school to, to study to be a doctor. And you know, I wasn't super passionate about it. I just didn't know what else I wanted to do. So it seemed like, okay, this is what we do. And I think one of the greatest gifts that running gave me was kind of a way out of medicine because I don't think it would have made me super happy. And you know, I, I put off medical school for two years to make the 08 team, and when I made the team, I got another four-year uh, deal to run professionally. So I ran to the 2012 team, which got me another deal, and here we are, you know, almost a decade and a half later, and I'm still running. So along the way, the medical school ship sailed for me, but I realized I needed more than just running around in circles to feel fulfilled each day. I needed to not only exercise my body but exercise my mind, and entrepreneurial entrepreneurial business. Uh, is really what gave me that stimulus. It, it was it was so rewarding to work my body out from eight to noon, and then have all afternoon free to just kind of what I like to call play the board game. It, it really truly feels like you're you're trying to assemble this puzzle or or build a machine and see if you can build it well enough to make it work. And I'm, we're constantly as as entrepreneurs learning and growing and adding to our wealth of knowledge and putting the puzzle pieces in place, and then at the end of the day say. You know, I built this this thing, but is it going to work? And the the market will tell you whether what you've built is worth anything or whether it's just a pile of junk. And that's and there's no there's no lying there. You, the market will dictate what it's worth. So I actually think this is a good place to pause for just a minute to tell you about one of our show sponsors. I was actually pretty excited when Skillshare reached out. You know, a lot of our listeners know I'm a real learning nerd, really into the audiobooks and things like this. And these guys have a ton of great classes. Um, there's like 16,000 classes on their website. But you only pay one monthly price. You don't have to pay per class like a number of the services out there. So it's unlimited access with a low monthly price kind of thing. But the, the breadth of the classes and the quality of them, I'm actually really impressed with. I was on there for just a few minutes and I had like a dozen classes I've, I've saved to take. 
their stuff on social media marketing, mobile photography, logo design, just all sorts of things for growing a business or creative things. Um, and what's nice is they're letting me give away a free month. Um, if you go to skillshare.com slash leader, uh, you can get a free month. Um, the class that I would recommend for sure right off the bat, though, is from Seth Godin. I'm a big Seth Godin fan, read all his books. A lot of my friends are, too. But he's got a class on there called the Modern Marketing Workshop that I, I really could not recommend enough. It's, I actually think it's better than a number of his books because it's super broken down, specific how-tos. Answer this question for yourself. Make a plan. Write it down. Um, it's not as much general uh, marketing advice. It's like specific. You need to do stuff different if you watch this. Anyways, Skillshare.com slash leader. Get a free month. There's tons of stuff on there worth checking out. But but uh, my personal recommendation, the Modern Marketing Workshop by Seth Godin is the one that uh, I think you should at least check out. Anyways, let's get back in the interview. So um, being pro, tell us about the coolest part for running for Nike and the coolest part of running for Brooks now. Yeah, so I ran for Nike professionally for seven years, I believe, and I've been running for Brooks for three years now. Uh, my first pro deal was with Nike, and you know, if you're coming out of college, it's just so flattering when a company like Nike wants to work with you. I mean, this is Nike we're talking about. Yeah, it's it's not a little like fly-by-night operation. This is one of the largest corporations in the world, and the fact that they want to pay you to give you free product is it's just overwhelming almost. But with the with that comes a lot of obligation. You learn uh, what makes a company like that tick, and you know how how they've gotten to be who they are. And a lot of it's ruthless deals. A lot of it's uh, you know doing what's in Nike's best interest. And I don't hold them to the fire for that. That's their 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 responsibility is not to the athletes. Their responsibility is to, to their shareholders. So it never surprised me, as it does some athletes, to find that Nike is this behemoth that, that operates in their own best interest. It just wasn't really a corporation that I wanted to be with long term. So when I had the opportunity to leave Nike and, and shop it around and, and find a company that matched my personality better, Brooks Running ended up being the perfect fit for me. They're the run-happy company. They're smaller. They specialize in just running. They make the best running products on the market. Uh, they're based here in Fremont uh, in Seattle. And it, as soon as I stepped foot in the, their HQ and met their CEO and, and everybody at, at the, the corporate office, I just – it was like I was home. It felt such a better fit, so much more natural. And the way they treat their athletes uh, is – it's it's really incredible. Uh, they pay a living wage, and there's no reduction clauses in their contracts, and it is it is absolutely the way that I think it should be done. They're just smart enough to realize that by making that part of their brand, you know, the average consumer is going to want to support that company that supports the athletes. Cool. Um, you know, one of the things that we study a lot, we talk about um, at our consulting firm, Mylan Advisors. Um, whether we're helping companies with a, a merger integration or continuous improvement program or some innovation program, right? Um, it's typically something where people are learning a new skill set, kind of almost like becoming a CEO coach to their clients or their staff yeah. or something like this, right? And it's 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 like new muscle memory for them in the sense of most managers have spent a lot of time talking 80 or 90% of a conversation. And so, mm -hmm. pr you know, practicing listening 80 or 90% of the conversation, it's, it's, it's a new talent. It's tough. Them, it's, right? it's a skill. It's really being a good listener is a skill. It's one that I could definitely use some work on. <laughs> but, but my question for you is um, as part of this, so half of our stuff ends up being about what to do. And then the other half is about 
how to get yourself to do it enough to actually get good at it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and in all the research we've done, uh, there's a lot that talks about how you know neuroplasticity, like neural connections, are non-transferable. If you become a genius at chess, that doesn't make you a genius at biomedicine, okay? Right. But but that willpower is transferable. If you if you gain willpower in one area, it can you can transfer it to the other activities that you do. So that makes sense. In this way, you know, athletes are a big deal for us. We've got these different guys on our team. We have a guy who made it into the NFL. We've got some, you know, um, special ops guys from the military that teach for us. But um, I'm really interested for you, um, when you think about all the times that you went out and did your workout when you didn't feel like it anymore, um, what, what are, having been through that experience so many times in your life, I'm guessing, mm -hmm. are there things you tell yourself? What are your tricks? H how does that, you know, exercising the willpower muscle what does that look like for you oh yeah absolutely uh you know it makes me think of when i was younger and i never loved distance running i thought it was kind of a nice way to get outdoors but really just a lot of work and i i did it because i was good at it and i remember every year after i'd take my break we take you know four to six weeks off every um fall as we reset and it was always so hard for me coming back i'd think just a few weeks ago i was in the shape of my life and now i can barely put one foot in front of the other and i'm 10 or 15 pounds heavy and I'm, you know, barely able to, to do half of the work at load I used to do just, you know, two months ago. And I was talking to a coach at the time. I said, this just sucks. I, I hate every step. It hurts and I'm too old for this. And I, I just can't believe that my body's atrophied so much in a few short weeks. And he said, you know what, what it comes down to is, is habit. And just like you, every night you brush your teeth before bed and you don't really think about it, you just do it. You need to make training a habit. And he said, it takes 23 days. And I don't know where he came up with this number, but, uh, I think a psycho psychologists have reported that on average, it takes 23 days to form a new habit. And he said, if all you do is lace up your shoes and go for a run, whether it's a mile or two miles or 10 miles, Get your ass out the door and run every day for 23 days. And if you're still having trouble at the end of those 23 days getting your work in, then we need to sit down and have a serious talk about whether this is the job for you. And so every time I come off of break, I think about that. Okay, 23 days. I just have to do it for 23 days. And by the end of that period, it's automatic. It's like I can't get through the day without running, if that makes sense. Mm. It's so ingrained in everything that I do, whether it's – when I shower or when I eat or I mean every single thing that I do in the day revolves around that structure, uh, it becomes just automatic. And so I always think about that when I'm coming off an injury or coming back from time off. And I've applied that same lesson to other things. You know, uh, I, I, when I was living in Mexico and wanted to learn Spanish, I said, okay, I'm down here for 10 weeks. Every single day for one hour, I'm going to study Spanish. And it was so hard some of those first days. I was tired and didn't want to do it and kind of annoyed. And after doing it for 23 days straight, it was like I couldn't get through a day without doing it. It felt like something was missing. And I've applied it, you know, in a lot of different ways to my life. And I, I, I think for some people and, and depending on the activity, it could be as little as 10 days or 20 days. But and for some people, maybe more than that. But consistency and structure is truly what makes something permanent in your life. Just setting a setting a wish out there is not enough, but you actually have to have a plan of how you're going to get from point A to point B. You know, um, I, I also think that the human mind really does poorly with the unknown. Where oh, yeah. putting a limit like that on it, I mean, it's like, you know, um, my mom is a huge hiker. So as a kid, <laughs> we were all hikers, right? We were mm -hmm. out in the Canadian Rockies. And um, 
the whole like uh we'll just go to that switchback and then we'll take our break yeah it's like magic you do that for like 20, 10 miles 20 miles yeah. you know what i mean yeah and well uh, you know I, I i'm getting into uh, mountain climbing a lot more and people mm. are telling me when you get to the top of everest you're taking four breaths for every one step you know not four steps per breath but four breaths and then take a step and then rest one two three four take a step and they literally have to pick a target, you know, a hundred yards away. And they say, all right, I'm going to take a break once I get there. And the, the thought of actually getting to the summit is so, uh, so unfathomable as to just be completely demoralizing. So they're constantly playing games with themselves. Okay. All I have to do is maintain this pace to that rock and then I can take a break. And then once they get to that rock, they pick another rock and they just do that over and over and over again. So taking a an insurmountable project and breaking it down into bite-sized pieces allows the human body and mind to do things that I'd otherwise thinks would be physically impossible. Well, um, so thinking about that for running, how does that translate to you entrepreneurship wise when you know, you've got things that have got to get done? Well, it's, it's one of those things where we have our sales goals. Like I know what I want us to hit in 2017. And for me to just go to the sales team and be like, all right, guys, we want to do a million dollars in 2017 in, uh, in gross revenue, you know, that, that, that's meaningless. It's like saying, all right, guys, I'm going to go climb Everest now. See you later. But if I say to them, okay, this is how we're going to do it. Based on our current month over month, you know, uh, revenue, this is where we can improve. This is our target for Q1. This is our target for Q2. This is, you know, if I break it down into to really manageable pieces and I go and talk to, uh, you know, my head of running retail and I say, this is, this is your target specifically just for you. But if everybody's working towards the same goal and everybody's biting off these pieces that are manageable, then the ultimate big scary goal is going to be accomplished. And that's kind of, that's kind of what we've done at run guns trying to incentivize people into hitting goals that are very realistic for them. You know, it's, it's interesting. You talk about it as a teen sport. Um, on episode 61, we had Steve Pearson. He's a CEO that, that has hiked, you know, he did get to the top of Everest. Wow. And, um, you know, I remember that episode, him talking about like, you really have to be alive to the situation, right? Like your, mm-hmm. your preconceived ideas, like if you try to jam your current situation into your preconceived <laughs> ideas, good luck. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. Um, thinking about that with, thinking about that, not just, you know, dealing with weather on the side of a mountain, but, but with a team and leadership, um, you know, I think especially those of us who are maybe the more ambitious types, we can get in our minds, this is how it's going to be. And then you get together with the team and it like, they're not reading from the script. Right. 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 Um, I'm interested in any things you do to help yourself, like, um, slow down and stay alive to the person that's in front of you. I mean, the nice thing about being a runner is that it is not only a, a job for me, but it's very cathartic. It's very, uh, it just, it, it, it puts me in a right frame of mind. So I like to run in the mornings before I head into the office, mm. before I start talking to my team, it calms me down. I'm a very, I'm found like a lot of CEOs. I'm wound very tight and I have a lot of energy and that energy can be extremely constructive or it can be a little bit manic in some ways. Uh, and if I come into the office, you know, just talking a mile a minute and bouncing around from idea to idea, it, it's it's not very helpful. It's not constructive. <laughs> if I'm able to expend some of that energy out on the trails or on the track and put my thoughts together for the day, okay, this is these are the ideas that I want to convey to the team today. These are the things that are important right now. Uh, it, it just channels my energy and my thoughts so much better. And I think a lot of people who are wound tight or a lot of creative people 
need to find a way to, to compartmentalize things in their mind and, and to channel that energy and those thoughts. And for me, endurance exercise has always been able to help me do that. That's great. But, but there is a level of thoughtfulness there of like being your best self when you show up to the office, huh? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have, uh, I have a very bad self too, that I could bring to the office. I try not to do that. Yeah. You know, I, I want to inspire the team. I want to, the team to be focused and motivated. I don't want them to think, oh gosh, what kind of mood is Nick going to come in today? And running really regulates my moods. No matter whether I'm happy or sad going out on that run and hitting the trails for an hour, it either brings me up if I'm down or it, it mellows me out a little bit if I'm just, uh, too emotional. Sure. Um, well, listen, I think this is a great place to, to stop for part one um, and uh, tune into our next episode. We're going we're gonna to keep going with the story with Nick. We're going to cut off part one of the interview there in the interest of time. We've had feedback that people would rather have 20 to 30 minute episodes, so we're going to break the interviews in half. Please check back tomorrow for part two of the interview. And as always, come to iCollective.co for show notes and to learn more about child rescue, go to the menu and, and look at our child rescue page and see if that's something that you'd like to get involved with. Thanks for listening. Get to Old Navy for Star Spangled Style. Right now, everything's on sale, up to 60% off. That's right, get everything from tees, shorts, dresses, and swim, all at 60% off. Now till July 7th at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid through 7-7, select styles only.